Thanks for listening to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. We upload new episodes every Monday and Friday. Be sure to listen to Uncaged Voice on Twitch or YouTube and listen to the Red Pill Current News Podcast on all major audio platforms every Wednesday and Saturday for current news and special interviews. Here are your hosts, Donny Cage and the Kentucky Guy. All right, and welcome to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, the Kentucky Guy. And I am Donnie Cage. Aha, Mr. Cage, how are we doing today, sir? Fantastic, Kentucky Guy. How are, we, how are you doing? I'm ah, doing well, doing well. Looking outside, it's a beautiful sunny day here in the great state of Kentucky. And uh, looking forward to talking about a little bit of wrestling. <laughs> Same here. All right, folks, so if this is your first time tuning in, be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button, no matter which platform you're listening to us on. We're on 73 different audio platforms, including Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and the list goes on. Also, Mr. Cage does co-host and created Uncaged Voice. Sir, go ahead and tell them about that show. Yes, well, we just recorded our latest episode last night, and we'll be dropping on YouTube this coming Monday. And it's myself, Top Tier Rated, and Jigsaw Jester. We talk about all sorts of news related to entertainment and gaming and movies and all of that good stuff. We even throw in some uh, some wrestling stories as well. Fantastic. And also, if you'd like to stay up to on current events, news, some pretty decent and cool interviews with people of all over the spectrum, be sure to check out the Red Pill Current News Podcast. We drop two episodes a week on there. I do host that show. And uh, also, if you'd ever like to be a guest on this show or have any questions for Donnie or myself, you can always email me at OLKentucky, spelled out, OKentucky99 at yahoo.com. OKentucky99 at yahoo.com. Also, in the description below is our website, all of our social media links for the show, as well as merch. Yeah, let's not forget about that. As merch as well. So be sure to check that out. All right, so let's go ahead and get started in today's show. Now, how we always start off our Saturday segments, we start off, we do this a little bit different. Uh, our Saturday shows now have the fantasy booking, and this is the only episode of the week. If you guys enjoy this segment, I know a lot of you do. It's not gone away. It's just down to one day a week right now on Saturdays. And that's my fantasy booking. Basically what that is, is uh, Mr. Cage picks a superstar, I pick a superstar, and we talk about if we could have done things different in their career as far as booking or what have you to change their trajectory, what we would have done different than a lot of times these promotions have led a lot of these guys down and are still doing it, by the way. There are a lot of current wrestlers uh, right now that could be on this list uh, in the WWE, Karrion Cross, Braun Strowman, I mean, the list goes on, uh, in AEW. You know, you have uh, 
you have uh, the guy that's Rusev. I can't think of his name on there, but Rusev. Uh, so many on AEW that's not being utilized as well. So, I mean, we could do it with current ones, but we're still giving the promotions a chance to maybe rectify that situation. But anyways, we'll start off with that before we get into the results and the headlines. And as always, sir, Mr. Cage, we'll start us off. Thank you. Thank you, Kentucky guy. Well, my pick uh, this week is someone who really got his start in wrestling at the height of wrestling's popularity during the Attitude Era in the WWF. And I'm talking about Andrew James Robert Patrick Martin. You might be wondering who he is. Well, he was better known in the WWF and WWE under the ring name Test. He debuted with the company. He actually debuted in wrestling in October of 1997, but he didn't make his WWF debut until October of 1998 during an episode of Sunday Night Heat. He was a member of the corporation during their feud with the likes of DX and The Rock and Steve Austin. And he was a major part of that. A few years later, he was also part of the alliance, the ECW-WCW alliance. Later, he was a part of the stable, the Un-Americans. And then after kind of bouncing around through a couple of different feuds, he came back in 2006 and was at the forefront of the new relaunched ECW, which was the third brand of WWE at the time. <clears throat> And this marks the time period where, in my test, was greatly underutilized. Because when ECW first re-debuted on Sci-Fi in 2006, he was one of the wrestlers who was being endorsed by Paul Heyman as the face of the new ECW. And his most notable, I, I guess, highlight during this run was when he competed in the December to Dismember ECW Extreme Elimination Chamber match. He actually eliminated two wrestlers from that, that match. He eliminated RVD and he eliminated Bob Holly. One, one spot I remember in particular, he climbed on top of one of the cells and did a flying elbow drop, which was pretty amazing. You really didn't see that back then. People actually jump off of one of the pods. But soon after, in early 2007, he was released by WWE shortly after he had failed a, uh, well, he had failed a wellness violation. Um, apparently, it was a mutual release that uh, he and WWE had agreed to. He very briefly popped up in TNA Wrestling and competed at the Hard Justice pay-per-view where he teamed with Sting and Abyss against AJ Styles, Christian Cage, and Tomko in a Doomsday Chamber of Blood match. Soon after, he was gone from TNA. And to me, I never really understood why Test wasn't pushed as an ECW champion when WWE relaunched it. He, sure, he got a couple of title opportunities, but he never won the belt. And in my opinion, this was a big mistake because why not put the belt on a dominant heel? Because he, he was getting natural heat from the crowd due to the fact that he was a WWE guy, not an ECW original. He's someone who really could have ran with the belt. But no, let's give it to the old broken down Big Show, who at that point in his career was really a shell of his former self and should not have been ECW champion. They should have given the belt to Test, who was still in the prime of his career and could have had a lot of great feuds. And whether it was CM Punk, whether it was RVD, whether it was Bobby Lashley, whoever, eventually one of the big babyface ECW guys could have beaten him for the belt. Test, I mean. And, I mean, that would have been a really good feud and a really good use for him. But 
WWE kind of just had him chase the ECW title every now and then and didn't really utilize him. I mean, he, he, I mean, he, he did have a pretty, I will say it was pretty well utilized from like 1999 till about 2002 when he was on the WWE main roster. But yeah, huge uh, wasted opportunity in the relaunched ECW. And I just feel like they could have utilized him a lot better. And it is really a shame because he, he died at the tragically young age of 33 back in 2009, I believe, and really could have had many more highlights in his career if not for his um, untimely death. Uh, Kentucky guy, your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, oh, this is uh, this is kind of hard to talk about because I wasn't really a fan of Test, but uh, I mean, he, you know, he had. He had that awful disease. He had an addiction problem for a long time, not just the one that led with oxycodones to his death. Uh, I never thought that he was that great of a wrestler. I, I mean, here's the thing. When Test did the on-screen romance with Stephanie McMahon, and then Stephanie actually actually married, in real life, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, <laughs> Triple H, so, and they had to make a turn there. And so they wanted to make it look real because remember back then you didn't have the internet and all that good stuff. So once, once that happened, what's the best way to make this look legit? Like everything was legit. Like Stephanie's relationship, the test was legit. And of course the marriage between the two or uh, her and Triple H are legit. What's the best way to do it? Well, what we do is we turn on test and then we hook him up, you know, with someone like Stacy Keebler and we start this feud. But however, we show that we win the feud, not by force or by beating him in the ring, but by what? Putting him on mid cards, lower cards, uh, ruining his chances with ECW and having someone like the big show, like you mentioned, the big slow, uh, become the champion. So, you know, I, I think that since he got involved in that storyline, that was the end of his push, in my opinion. And if you go back and you kind of look at a timeline, it's been a while since I've looked at this guy, but if you go back and, and look at a timeline, because uh, he was like Intercontinental Champion, European Champion, and something else. But around the timeline when things went off the road between him and Stephanie is when it all started going downhill. So... Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good pick. Um, you know, I, I think in when he did make his actual debut on ECW, I think he actually he beat like a ECW original, like Al Snow, I think it was. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I think that Paul Heyman would have gave him a shot. I just think the hires up didn't see him as being the man and seeing that, you know, I think that storyline killed him. I do, his character. Not only with... Uh, the higher ups, but with the fans as well. So, but yeah, not good pick. I mean, he definitely, once again, I don't think he was a great wrestler, but he definitely had the look. And if he had like the right manager on the mic, who knows, right? Because we're talking about an era when Hulk Hogan was beating people with a leg drop. So, you know, all right, so let's move on to my fantasy booking this, this episode. So my fantasy booking, I'm going to be straight up with you all. It is, a little, it's actually a lot different than anyone that I've done so far because it doesn't really have to do with 
like one promotion dropping the ball or what have you. What I want to talk about is two wrestlers who had the same name and had a real-life feud. So for years, Adolf Tapia and Jose Alfonso Escobaza both held the name and character, wrestling character, of La Parca. And I know, I, know there's some, I know a lot of you already know about this, but I do know that there's some that do not. Because this is actually, was kind of new to me because I forgot about it. It's been so long. So when AAA launched in 1992, a journeyman wrestler, uh, Adolf Tapia, was given a fresh gimmick and a skeleton suit and became a legendary luchador, La Parca. While he started out as a heel, his dancing skeleton character quickly became a fan favorite with the suit bringing out Tapia's natural uh, charisma. His La Parca was a major star in AAA for four years until he left the company for a startup promotion, Promo Azteca. This was around the same time he started wrestling in WCW where he would receive his worldwide fame. However, AAA owner Antonio Piera still had the right to the La Parca character, and instead of going after the original La Parca, he simply made a new one. <laughs> as soon as uh, Tapia left, Pina right away created La Parca Jr. and brought in Jose Alfonso Escobarza as the new main new man behind the skeleton. The junior honorific was quickly dropped, and for the next seven years, there was explicitly two different La Parcas in the wrestling world. The second La Parca in AAA, Jose Alfonso, was the only La Parca who wrestled in national television in Mexico. Therefore, this supposed fake La Parca quickly became the real La Parca in the eyes of the Mexican fans, while the American fans, Tupia La Parca, and WCW was the real one. This is just an amazing story. So originally, there was no clash over the name. As for the most part, they always worked for separate promotions, with uh, Tupia mainly working for WCW, as well as U.S. and Mexican independent promotions, while Jose Alfonso wrestled in AAA. However, there did become an issue when Tapia signed for AAA's main rival, CMLL, in 2003. AAA owner Antonio Pian had a court order drawn up to prevent Tapia from being known as La Parca in the rival promotion. The legal battle forced Tapia to change his name from La Parca to L.A. Park, short for Lou Athenike Parca. For a, for a period of time, uh, Tapia was also barred from using the skeleton costume he wore for years. This led to him wearing a modified version of a skeleton using different color combinations, modifying the skeleton mask to look like the face of Darth Maul from Star Wars, the Phantom Menace. Though, as time went on, L.A. Park would return to the original design. The feud was iconic, and the two would have some some of the most heated matches in AAA that year. After the feud in AAA, it seemed like L.A. Park and La Parca had finally buried the hatchet, and surprisingly, the two would even tag team together for a small show in 2012. 
The two Labarcas seem to end things on a good terms as well. When Jose Alfonso Escobar died in 2020, L.A. Park would tweet this, which is roughly translated to, no one is going to fill the place that the AAA Parka left. Neither I nor anyone else. The truth must respect the name so that Jerry uh, Escobar's is never forgotten. And I think that was a class act on that gentleman's part. But yeah, so for seven years, there were two Laparkas. I didn't know it went on for that long. I thought there was just a gimmick that they did in AAA for like, for like a, you know, like a year. I had no idea that this was going on that long. And, you know, that's crazy what they can get away with in Mexico. Just create another person. I mean, we've seen Vince McMahon do it, Diesel and Razor Ramon, but he kind of done it as a joke. I don't think he was serious, but this guy lived and breathed. And sometimes the fans didn't really know that it was a different person who had the same name and a different and, and the same mask on. Just, just crazy. Luchador Wrestling continues even right now, 2023, continues to amaze me some of the stuff they used to get away with. Your thoughts, sir? Yeah, I remember reading about this story that there were two different wrestlers in this La Parca gimmick for many, many years. And and honestly, I had no um, recollection of the second La Parca, the one, because I didn't follow AAA wrestling. I watched WCW, so that was my introduction to La Parca, was the, the guy who originally did the gimmick, who now wrestles as L.A. Park. Um, and I always felt, always felt like he was a criminally underutilized wrestler in WCW. Um, the crowd was always into his gimmick. I always felt he deserved more of a push in either like the cruiserweight or the world television title, um, division. But again, I guess because in their mind, well, he can't really speak English. So that means he has a ceiling and I'm like, then you give him a manager who cuts promos for him. That's the simple solution to that. But he was always a great worker. Um, but yeah, I do remember this controversy and, it just goes to show you, L.A. Park, a guy who wrestles L.A. Park now, definitely a class act paying tribute to the other wrestler who passed away in 2020 who also adopted the La Parca gimmick. Um, and it's, you know, it's really a shame. Uh, I, and I, as I understand that he, the reason he died were complications from an injury he suffered in a match, if I remember correctly. Suicide dive, yeah. Which is a very dangerous move, especially if not executed correctly. Yeah, he did a suicide dive. Uh, off the top rope or through the top rope uh, at a uh, to the outside, and uh, he landed wrong, and I think he broke his neck. If I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on the neck part, but I think that's how how he passed. But yeah, it's uh, you know it was uh, sad. Here's the thing: the push in WCW, I kind of agree with that, and then I kind of don't because I thought he became you know he wrestled some great people in WCW: Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero. I mean, his main thing, the reason why I liked him was because of uh, when he became the chairman and he and he used to do that little dance. You know, I think that what sold me. That's why I really started liking him. So uh, it wasn't so much his phenomenal wrestling. But now he's still wrestling today, by the way. Now, if you go and you check him out in AAA, uh, you know, over the years, you know, of course, he's gotten older and he's uh you know, he's, he's fixed his technique and, uh, he's a lot better wrestler, but if you look up that other Laparca and I'm not in a, I know he's passed away, but if you look him up and look at some old footage, 
and they've got it out there. I've seen it on YouTube. This guy, as far as technical wrestling, I probably can see why LaParka gave him that shout out. You know, like we said, he's a class act, and, you know, I thought that was great anyways. But I'd have to say he had the edge on him just a little bit, and that was uh, Jose Alfonso because he was a uh, he didn't he didn't do the dance he didn't do the same, well once in a while he would when he first started but he didn't do the same type of gimmicks and uh man he was a a risk well that's what killed him he was a risk taker okay so let's move on to wrestling news and rumors around the water cooler before we get started let's go over some smackdown results all right first on the list we had the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship match where Kale Rodriguez and Liv Morgan once again defended their titles against Sonya Deville and Chelsea Green, the two Karens. Uh, no brainer there. The tag champs retained their belts and are still the tag team champions. I, I wasn't into the match uh, much at all. Uh, the next match, I'll go over two because these two I really wasn't into. Uh, and then we'll let you talk about them. Uh, next one was the Intercontinental Championship match. The win, uh, Gunther versus Xavier Woods. Of course, Gunther won this match. So here's, I got it, I get it. Well, no, there's a headline that that we'll talk more about. But anyways, uh, this match I thought was a waste of time as well. Don't think Woods ever deserved to be in the title picture. And uh, Gunther once again showed why he's a dominant champion. Your thoughts on those two matches? You know, it's really a shame right now that that Big E is, um, is on the shelf. And we still, at this point, don't know when or if he's coming back to be an active wrestler. But he's probably the only member of the New Day, I feel like, at this point, could give Gunther a run for his money in an Intercontinental title match because he himself is a former Intercontinental champion. Kofi is, too. But, I mean, Kofi hasn't really been pushed as a serious single star in a lot of years now. Um, but, yeah, the, this was the right outcome. Keep making the ring general look uh, look dominant until he gets some real competition again. Um, and as far as the women's tag team title match, again, I'm not surprised by the outcome, but Kentucky guy, I'll tell you what, if they actually gave Sonia and Chelsea the, the, the tag team named the two Karens, I think they would actually get over, uh, with, with the gimmick. I do too. I think it'd work out a lot better. And as far as the, uh, the new day in big E, uh, you'll like the headline that I've got for later on. So, uh, next match. We had Braun Strowman and Ricochet take on the Viking Raiders. And the winners, Braun Strowman and Ricochet. Why? Please tell me why. I do not understand. These guys got their title shot. They blew it. They, they've, they've gotten beat by everybody. And then you're going to put them over with Braun Strowman acting like an idiot, counting with the ref, put them over the Viking Raiders. I don't get it. If I was the Viking Raiders, I would want my release and get out of here because evidently Triple H doesn't take them serious. I know Triple H is not bad. I'm not saying he's bad at creative, but man, he's made some foul ups and right here's one of them. So, and then the last match of the night or no, sorry, I skipped one. Uh, Ray Mysterio, uh, LWO and Santos Escobar versus Damian Priest and Finn Balor. Uh, and actually this match was kind of clean one. Uh, Judgment Day beat them hands down. So once again, this LWO feud, it just needs to go somewhere else, man. I mean, the, the Judgment Day are much superior. You've got Rey Mysterio as the leader, 
You've got Santos, who is probably the co-captain, and he's okay. But those other two knuckleheads are just like the two knuckleheads on the Jericho Appreciation Society. They're, they should be in NXT or, or a lower card or something because they, they're, they're horrible. They were horrible when they wrestled as a team in NXT, and they're horrible now. So this LWO thing, I understand it. Eddie Guerrero, uh, Rey Mysterio is going to the Hall of Fame. Yes, I get it. Sentimental, all this stuff. But come on, man. If you're going to really try to revive Eddie Guerrero's legacy with LWO, you need to bring in better members, not just the first Mexican members you find. Sorry. Just not how it works. Last match of the night, no DQ. Riddle versus Solo Sequoia. Once again, Solo is victory. Of course he, of course he's going to be Riddle. This feud here, I don't get. Lasting too long. Okay, Riddle, yeah. He supposedly put you out, which everybody knows you're in rehab. And supposedly he puts you out uh, by hurting your neck. So now you're going to fight him three different times now since you've been back and lose every match? What What's the purpose? What purpose does it serve? Solo doesn't have a title that you can go after, so I don't get it. Anyway, sir, your thoughts on those three? Yeah, I mean, pretty much all predictable outcomes, unfortunately, Kentucky guy. Um I'm not saying I don't um, agree with at least two of the outcomes. I mean, Solo it needs to continue looking strong and picking up wins, and so do Judgment Day. So I don't disagree with the outcomes of these matches. But um, I don't know if you noticed, but it looks like they're starting to set up Rhea Ripley's first uh, title defense after winning the SmackDown Women's title. And it looks like she's going to be facing Zelina Vega. That match is, I'm and, sorry, that, ma that match is official yeah. now. Yep. That's official. Um, this is my question, and no disrespect to Zelina Vega because I like her as a manager, and I think she's an okay wrestler. I don't have anything against her, but what did she do to qualify for the or to qualify to be the number one contender? Like that's, uh, I, I'm I'm wondering like here, like, like so, just anybody can just grab a microphone and say, "I want to challenge you for the belt." You know, it's funny you say that. Sorry for interrupting, but. It's funny you say that because I looked that up earlier uh, when I found out that that match was official. And according to what I found, when she was a singles competitor before she went away for a while and came back with these guys, uh, she had lost 10 of her last 11 single matches. And the one that she won, Carmella got involved and helped her win. Sorry for interrupting. Wow. No, but I appreciate that context. Um, so unfortunately, as cool as it is to see Zelina get a title opportunity, she didn't really earn it, unfortunately. And I feel like Rhea needs to be defending it against women who earn the, uh, the title opportunity. But I digress. Um, the Viking Raiders at this point in time absolutely need to be just counting down the days until their contract expires. And they need to already start, if they haven't done so already, start putting feelers out to other promotions. Impact, Ring of Honor, um, MLW, whatever, because they're just not being utilized well in WWE, which shocks me because they were booked great when they were NXT, in NXT, when they were the War Raiders. They were booked really strong. And I know Triple H is a fan of these guys, but I don't understand why they're not being pushed as a stronger tag team. They'd be great contenders for Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens right now. That would be an awesome feud. But doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. 
Um, and then as far as Riddle goes, just to briefly comment on that, you know, I don't know if the whole idea here is that is that they want to stack the deck against him so much that when he finally makes his comeback and starts racking up wins, the audience is really going to be behind him or what. But I don't think he's won a single match since he since he came back from injury. He hasn't. And uh, the word around the horn is Randy Orton. Uh, they're pushing him to come back even faster now because Riddle's back. So we'll see. But I tell you, everything that we hear on Randy Orton, you really have to take it for a grain of, grain of salt, folks. I've been misled on him so much since he's been injured. It's not even funny. I was misled on him, supposed to be back at WrestleMania. Then I was misled that uh, he was not, his injury was so severe that he would not be able to come back or there was a possibility he couldn't come back. Come to find out, that was all false as well. It was a bad injury, yes. It does take a lot of time to heal, yes. But there was never really any potential of him not coming back. And I don't know how many times I talked about him not coming back because uh, Dave Meltzer and everybody else reported it. So I went along with it. So there's been, I don't know what's going on with Randy Orton, and I'm not going to speculate. And I'm not going to read any more headlines about him until he is back in the ring and we can 100% say what's going on. Uh, because this is just, you know, fool me once, shame on me. You know, or shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So, And then uh, I'll go ahead and do one headline and let you do the next two. Let's see. AJ Styles, still not ready for WWE, returned from injury. It does not look like AJ, uh, AJ Styles is close to returning to WWE TV yet. Uh, they are reporting that Styles was not around for WrestleMania weekend in Las Vegas, uh, Los Angeles. And the latest on him is that it's a matter of time being cleared to return to action. Styles has been sidelined with a broken ankle. The reason why it doesn't look like he's close to being ready is because there has been no word on on that he's been training at a at the performance center in Orlando. WWE typically sends talents there just before they are cleared and ready to return to TV. That's how I knew that's how we knew Cody Rhodes was coming back. Uh while Styles is out of action, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson have been off TV for the most part as well. I don't know why they threw that in there about Luke Gallows and uh Carl Anderson uh because Oh, you know, here's something. Let's go ahead and talk about this now real quick, and then I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, I, got the, I got to see the flyer last night of the draft. Well, there's several people missing from all the superstars that are going to be in the draft, which actually starts next Friday, by the way. Styles isn't on there. Gallows or Anderson aren't on there. Bray Wyatt is not on the, on the poster. Alexa Bliss is not on the poster. Yeah, what the heck is going on? I'm not even speculating. I'm just throwing that out there for the universe. What the heck is going on with this draft? Your thoughts on the headline, sir? I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that any wrestler that's injured, in this case AJ Styles and allegedly Bray Wyatt, is not eligible for the draft at this time, and that when they are healthy to get back to TV, they're just going to wind up on one of the brands. And, you know, just come back to TV and say, oh, I've been drafted to Raw or I've been drafted to SmackDown. Um, but, yeah, I'm a little confused as to why people like Alexa Bliss and um, the OC uh, or the Good Brothers, I mean, are not on the, a, a part of the draft. Or maybe they are and they're just not on the poster. Um, because you could still be utilizing them, you know, just because 
the OC isn't united as a full unit doesn't mean you can't still use the good brothers in the tag team division. Lexa Bliss, same thing. I said it last week. Why can't you just continue the story with her and Uncle Howdy? Just because Bray Wyatt's injured, the story comes to a complete halt. That doesn't make any sense. But be that as it may, I mean, AJ, we don't know the severity of his ankle injury, and especially if it was a broken ankle. Yeah, it's not like you can just recover from that a week later and be back in the performance center. It takes a while. You don't want to rush it prematurely. He is older now, so it probably takes him a little longer to recover than it would have 10 years ago. Um so, I mean, we wish AJ a speedy recovery, and I can't wait until he gets back on TV. Big AJ Styles fan. But uh, still a lot of questions surrounding the draft. No question about it. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, I'm a big AJ Styles fan, too, and uh, have been way before he ever came to uh, WWE. Uh, followed his career all over the place. And, uh, yeah, I'd like to see him come back. I did. I actually didn't know that he uh, he had a broken ankle until I seen his headline. So that kind of took me back for a second. I thought he was dealing with a back injury. I don't know where I got that from. But anyways, uh, you got the next two headlines, sir. Thank you. All right. Top WWE executives surprised to hear about interest from Warner Brothers Discovery. There's been a lot of talk about James Andrew Miller, who also worked for the Washington Post, telling Jimmy Trena of SI Media, that he had heard of interest in WWE programming from some people in Warner Brothers Discovery. Miller stated that he wouldn't be surprised whether WBD wanted a slice of the WWE pie once WWE starts its talks with networks regarding their media rights. Miller also speculated the possibility of Warner Brothers Discovery moving Monday Night Raw to another night to avoid competition with Monday Night Football. PW Insider Elite reports there were a lot of people within the WWE circle whose ears immediately perked up after Miller's comments made the rounds on social media. They had several top WWE executives ask them whether they had heard anything from the WBD side regarding their interest in WWE. It's believed AEW has a deal with Warner Brothers Discovery through the end of this year, although there has been speculation the deal will go through late 2024. Following the acquisition of WWE by the Endeavor Group, to form them into a new super company with the UFC. It has supercharged interest in WWE and Hollywood circles, as well as overall interest in potential pro wrestling elsewhere. It's believed NBC Universal has an exclusive window to negotiate a new deal with WWE, and if a deal isn't reached, WWE can talk with anyone for media rights to Raw. Peacock has the rights to the WWE Network and pay-per-view events through 2026. So the Peacock premium live events are not going anywhere, which is great for my wallet because uh, <laughs> I get the uh, Peacock subscription and don't have to pay a monthly fee or anything. Um, but this is interesting because I remember hearing that Warner Brothers Discovery has this relationship with AEW right now. And let's just say that their deal expires at the end of this year and not the end of 2024. That's going to be pretty jarring to suddenly see WWE programming on Warner Brothers Discovery channels if that deal actually goes through. Right now, it's just talk. It's talk. It's a WBD is interested in possibly working with WWE. I wonder in AEW's contract if they have a uh, a clause in there that says that there's a conflict of interest clause. They call it where another promotion 
could come on the streaming site. That would be interesting because who would think, you know, they're all, you know, WWE has been on Peacock and before Peacock, they were on their own. Uh, who would, who would, you know, if you're Tony Khan, you really, unless you had real good lawyers to bring that up, you wouldn't really think about an uncompete clause or a, a not a compete clause, but a conflict of interest clause because uh, you wouldn't think there would be any shot whatsoever. <laughs> so that's interesting to see if that is, uh, if that's in there or not. So this should be a, an exciting next few months just over something, you know, like that because who knows what happens when it comes to Warner Brothers and when it comes to Endover, let's be honest about it, it's all about the almighty dollar. It's not just about, oh, I like these guys. So, And that's business. Tony Khan knows that. He's a pretty sharp businessman. I'm sure he's got good lawyers, and there probably is, you know, conflict of interest calls in there. But I'm just saying, your normal business guy would have never thought that this would be possible. So kind of kind of interesting to see. All right, sir, you got the next one. Goldberg on his wrestling future. Anything and everything is an option. In other words, who's next? Goldberg's contract expired with WWE at the end of 2022, but news broke in March that he is a free agent. While appearing on 93.7 The Ticket, Goldberg was asked about his future and mentioned again that he had a handshake agreement with Vince McMahon after losing to Roman Reigns that he would have a proper retirement match. That didn't happen. Goldberg is open to any possibility, but he's leaning toward doing his own tour. Goldberg was quoted as saying, I'll stop the rumor mill right now. The reason the rumors are out there is because Vince McMahon and I had a handshake understanding that after the Roman Reigns match that I would have a proper retirement match. If I go on a world tour and promote it myself, that's a possibility. Hey, I'm a businessman. And I'm fortunately, you know, in the position I firmly believe to where I can still make it happen. At the end of the day, like I said, I do believe that my character deserves a proper send-off. Until that happens, man, I don't believe I'm hanging them up now. Anything and everything is an option. I'm very much leaning towards promoting it myself and doing a four-city world tour. So let the rumor mills start up after that. Well, I still say to this day that Goldberg's final match should have been WrestleMania 33 against Brock Lesnar. I don't feel it's really done anything for his character or for his career or his legacy for him to continue having matches well past his prime. They booked him literally perfectly when he came back in 2016, beat Brock Lesnar in that squash match, had a great showing at the Royal Rumble, beat Kevin Owens for the Universal title, had a solid match with Lesnar at WrestleMania 33, got his Hall of Fame induction. That should have been the end of it. But as we all know, money talks, and Vince McMahon just kept throwing out a, a big fat check to Bill Goldberg. So he said, even though my body's breaking down, I'm going to still go out there and perform. And I think that was a mistake on his part. I think the man is well off enough financially at this point that he doesn't even really need the money. So I don't know. I, I don't think he needs a proper retirement match, but it sounds like some way or somehow we're going to get one. Yeah, anyway. the good thing is, is not going through a major promotion, so I don't have to watch it and vomit. So, yeah, that's the only positive thing I heard out of that whole headlines. By the way, if you do some research, my friend, you will find out that every 
not one, but every time Goldberg fought in Saudi Arabia or the WWE, he made over a million dollars a match. A million dollars. And remember, one of the matches was what? 10 minutes long? So, yeah. This guy here, I mean, he's been done. He's been done for years. I don't get it. I, I don't. And now, you know, I understand it's hard to quit. I mean, just look at one of my former heroes, uh, Ric Flair. Uh, yeah, I get it. It's hard to quit. But, dude, you haven't, you, you know, unlike Ric Flair, like, you've not been important in the business at all in a decade. I mean, just go away. Enjoy your filthy, crazy money and your boy who's playing football and just go away is my opinion on that. Okay, I got the next headline. Seth Rollins seems surprised to hear that he's booked for WWE Backlash. Yeah, this surprised me too. So last night during WWE SmackDown, when it was announced that Seth Rollins versus Omos <laughs> was added to Backlash, that caught a lot of fans by surprise because there's no backstory to explain why the match was made. While it was common for random matches to be added to pay-per-views, cards in the 80s and 90s, these days, it just doesn't happen. WWE likes to attach a storyline to every big match. Last night was an exception to that, and Seth Rollins seemed to be surprised by the news as well. There's still one more Raw left before Backlash, so we might get a story started this Monday, this Monday night, to add some steam for the match. I don't think so. I don't. I think, uh, you know, you wouldn't, uh, if you didn't do, when you had Brock Lesnar versus Omos at WrestleMania, if you didn't do the first couple weeks there of kind of a buildup making Brock seem like he was kind of scared of him, I don't think anybody would have really cared about that match either. This here, I have no idea. I don't understand the purpose whatsoever. Didn't understand it last night. Don't understand it after reading this. Don't get it. Do you? Your thoughts? I I just want to know. I mean, I and here I here I said last week in our last episode that Seth Rollins had no heat with WWE. I want to know who Seth Rollins upset on the creative team that they decided. You know what we did? We need to do. We need to book him in a match against Hamas. That'll really make the fans happy. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't understand. I did see something that I kind of. Really, really liked. I didn't. I haven't shared it yet because I want. I'm still fact checking it, but I will put it out there as a rumor. As a rumor, this is not news. A rumor that higher ups are looking at Seth Rollins to actually be the one. They think it only makes sense that he's the one, not Cody Rhodes, to dethrone Roman Reigns. I'm fine with that. I don't. That once again, that's a rumor. If I ever get any concrete on that, I'll let you guys know. But here's the crazy part. Dethroning Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 40. So we're going to have Roman Reigns as champion for another year? I, I, don't, I don't know. Once again, that's a rumor. There's no facts to that. Not yet. I'm still working on it. And then uh, I wanted to get into the AEW uh, uh, results. But first, I want to talk about something here. Uh, that a lot of people don't may not know about. Uh, on Thursday of this week, former uh, WWE star Ted DiBiase Jr. 
was officially charged with multiple felonies concerning the Mississippi welfare fraud scandal involving former NFL quarterback Brett Favre. Now, I know you guys, if you're not aware of this Brett Favre thing, this is uh, Pat McAfee. been talking about actually Brett Favre is actually trying to sue McAfee, which is crazy. He's going to lose that horribly. He's going down trying to take everybody with him. But anyways, the rest happened after DiBiase was accused of misappropriating millions of dollars intended for needy families after he allegedly fraudulently obtained money from the Emergency Food Assistance Program and the Temporary Assistant for Needy Families. His father, Hall of Famer Ted DiBiase, has issued a statement on the arrest. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not going to read that. You guys can find that for yourself. Uh, but the son of the pro wrestler faces charges that include one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud and to commit theft concerning programs receiving federal federal funds, six counts of wire fraud, two counts of theft concerning programs receiving federal, I don't know why they wrote that. Oh, and money laundering. Okay, so they added that to the second sentence. He faces up to 80 years in prison. You might as well say life. I mean, the guy's not young. The breakdown is up to five years in prison, should be found guilty for the conspiracy charge, a maximum of 20 years for each fraudulent count, and 10 years for every theft count that concerns programs receiving federal funds and for each count of money laundering. Wow. So, I mean, we talk, this is a wrestling podcast, and we want to keep you guys up to date all we can, and sometimes it's not good news. This shocks me. Because he comes from a very rich, you know, the million, Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man, that's not just a gimmick that come out of the air. This guy's a very successful businessman and has a lot of, I'm talking about the not senior, not junior, very and made a lot of money in his life, a lot of money. He made a lot of money wrestling too. I don't see why Ted DiBiase Jr. had to do anything like this because he comes from money. And there's no been any reports about Ted DiBiase Sr. having to file bankruptcy or anything like that. And I know they're close. So, yeah, no sense whatsoever. Your thought? And all I'm going to say is uh, shame on you, Ted DiBiase Jr., for taking money from that's meant for low-income families. Um, they're supposed to, you know, when you're from a wealthy family, the idea is that you're supposed to actually give back and pay it forward a little bit. Um, but the fact that you were stealing allegedly millions that were intended for people who are less fortunate than you. Uh, yeah, shame on you, sir. That's all I'm going to say. All right. And then uh, before we get to your, uh, your two, uh, the two of your uh, headlines, let's talk about Dynamite results real quick because there's a whole lot that happened actually on Dynamite this, this week. Uh, we had Jay White face off against Commander. Jay White won the match, but I tell you what, I was very, very impressed with the commander. Not really uh, familiar with him, uh, unless he had a different name or something. The outfit looked similar, but not really familiar with him. But Jay White, once again, Sling Blade, uh, that move is just devastating. It's like the Sister Abigail. And uh, he was good, very good, won the match. We had Powerhouse Hob uh, defend his TNT championship against Warlow, a rematch that everybody had been anticipating. Warlow. The Boring Warlow, which Powerhouse Hobbs is boring too, is your third time TNT champion. I thought it was interesting that Arn Anderson kind of acted like a coach for him 
Yeah, Wardlow is not in the Nightmare uh, class, so I thought that was interesting. Anyways, your thoughts on those two matches? Well, I'm hoping that pairing up pairing him up with Arn Anderson, who's a legend in the business, is going to help Wardlow a little bit. Um, I mean, there's no guarantee. I mean, just because you put um, a put one up and coming wrestler with a legend, that doesn't mean they're going to be successful, but. Maybe this will be the little jump start that his character needs. Um, he also has to hold the TNT title for more than a month for people to care about that belt again. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. You know, the match itself was, uh, you know, two powerful guys uh, crashing into one another. That was pretty much how he described the match. Um, yeah, Jay White and Commander put on a really good athletic display for the fans out there. Commander certainly put himself on the map. Um Jay White, I just want to say for the record, his version of that finisher, which he calls the Sling Blade, and it is known as a Sister Abigail when Bray Wyatt does it, Jay White does that move so much better, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's much smoother. It's faster. Like it, It's kind of like, it reminds me of the RKO, because he can put it on you out of nowhere. You know what I mean? And Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt I like Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt suits him, where he goes down, he kisses the head. I mean, yeah, that, that suits Bray Wyatt, too. So, not taking away, but... Yeah, I, I would, if I, if, let's put it this way. If I was a wrestler and I wanted to learn that move, I'd want to do Jay White's move. Yeah. And then we had the Acclaim and Billy Gunn versus uh, JAS, Angelo Parker, that's a, and uh, Matt Menard. These are the two knuckleheads I was talking about earlier that really have never fit this group or any kind of faction. With I don't know why these guys are still there. And Jake Hager uh, was a part of the group as well. Uh, stipulation was if uh, these knuckleheads won that the Acclaim and uh, Billy Gunn would have to join JAS. Well, that didn't happen. The Acclaim and Billy Gunn won the match. Uh, didn't really care about the match. Didn't, w- wouldn't have cared if the Acclaim had to go to JAS. I think Jericho needs to cut the fat a little bit to get that team back in order. I think you keep Daniel Garcia, you keep Sammy, and even keep Jake because he's been there since the beginning. And then uh, you find some new blood, just like uh, LWO needs to do as well. Uh, then we had uh, Jamie Hayter and Dr. Britt Baker versus Ruby Soho and Tony Storm. Once again, Jamie Hayter and Dr. Britt Baker won that match. Uh, wasn't really anything in that match for me, so didn't care. Um, yeah, and then I'll get into some other stuff. Let me let you uh, go ahead and talk about those two matches. Well, I'm glad to see Dr. Britt Baker pick up a win in her hometown of Pittsburgh. Crowd was uh, the crowd was loving every minute that she was in the ring, which was which was great. Um, I agree with you about the Jericho Appreciation Society. It's time to trim the fat a little bit. Um, I think if Jericho were smart, once both once both guys are healthy, he might as well just reform the uh, inner circle and bring back Santana and Ortiz because he has Jake Hager and. Sammy Guevara by by his side, and also Daniel Garcia. So why not just reform the inner circle? I mean, you can call it the Jericho Appreciation Society if you want, but um, yeah, I've never understood the inclusion of uh, uh, of those other two guys, the knuckleheads as you call them. Um, they've got like some, they've got personality, but that's about it. Uh, I still, uh, yeah, there's plenty of other guys on the roster that have personality too. So. Um, uh, yeah. That can actually wrestle, right? As personality and actually be able to wrestle. <laughs> talent. A little bit of talent. What we need to. 
Uh, and uh, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention uh, uh, Pittsburgh is also Warlow's hometown. So uh, yeah, I'm not a Warlow fan, but they did announce that. So let's go to the ring now. And in the ring, we have Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega said that the last few weeks were some of the most difficult ones in his life. The Combat Club was four of the most respectable wrestlers on the planet until he made his friend, they made his friends bleed and sent them to the hospital. Omega challenged the Combat Club to come to the ring. On the video wall, Brian Danielson said that they are amateurs. John Moxley, Claudio, and Wheeler Yuta attacked Omega and the Young Bucks from behind while they were listening to Danielson's well, uh, Danielson. They continued to brawl until Danielson came out. Don Callis came out with a chair, saw it was down to four on one with Omega, left. Danielson pulled out the screwdriver. Callis brought out Konoko Takashiti. Takashiti cleared the ring. So, yeah, when I seen this, so is Takashiti a part of the elites now? Or is he under contract with Don Callis now? Is minor. I mean, that's the guy they, that's the missing piece they needed. I was hoping it was going to be the other guy coming from Japan that's going to sign there sooner or later. But they used to be the golden lovers with Kenny Omega. But I don't know. And then we had, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go over two of these since they weren't actual matches. And then I'll get your uh, input on them. Uh, then we had Chris Jericho finally confronts Adam Cole face to face. So in the ring, Chris Jericho and Adam Cole, they came face to face and Cole said Jericho was his inspiration for getting into wrestling and he has a lot of respect for him. Jericho shook Cole's hand. Jericho said he has no respect <laughs> for Adam Cole. Jericho pushed Cole and they started brawling. Daniel uh, Garcia came in to help Jericho as they put the boots to Cole. Britt Baker came in and pulled Jericho off of Cole. Baker slapped Jericho in the face and then kind of kind of seen this coming. Uh, Sierra and Ruby Soho and Tony Storm jumped Rip Baker from behind. Garcia actually handcuffed Cole to the ring while the outcast beat up Baker. Jericho brought in a kindle stick as Cole begged Jericho to hit him. Jericho handed the kindle stick over to uh, Baker and Sierra and boy they repeatedly used it on Britt Baker. Uh, she was helped out of the ring by Adam Cole once this assault was over. And I really, really like this feud between Jericho and Cole. I think it's going to give them both the the lighter foot needed uh, because they're kind of they're both great wrestlers, but they're kind of stale right now. And I do appreciate Tony Khan working Britt Baker and Adam Cole's real life relationship into this i'd like to see more of this because people know that they're really together and they know it's not just for on screen where a lot of places when they have stuff like this happen people know it's well you know just on screen they don't really care adam cole is a great talent and he looked concerned i mean you if you didn't know what you know you would think he was literally concerned for rip baker after those kindle six hot shots repeatedly anyways your thoughts on those two sir yeah, that was a great segment with uh, Adam Cole and uh, Chris Jericho when it uh, degenerated into that brawl and beatdown and everything. Um, I never really pictured um, Britt Baker and Adam Cole as sympathetic babyfaces, but they 
they sold us. They, they, they sold me completely. And I'm really looking forward to them, uh, getting some revenge on, uh, both the uh, outcasts and Chris Jericho in the near future. You know, the elite and Blackpool combat club, uh, segment, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the match that's going to take place, but I'm with you, Kentucky guy. I would have been much more excited if the guy who came out to save, uh, the elite was, um, was Kota Ibushi instead of, uh, Konosuke Takeshita, uh, because I know Takeshita has worked a lot in AEW lately, but Kota Ibushi's, uh, recently said in interviews that he'd love to compete at the, uh, event at Wembley stadium. And I think that would be a great, even if it was just a one-time deal for that match, it'd be great to see him team up with Kenny Omega and the young bucks. Yep. Yep. And, uh, he's, he, he's coming to AEW. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, it's just a matter of, uh, time. So, uh, here we go. Let's see. Oh, then we had the main event, Sammy Guevara versus Jungle Boy, Jack Perry. Uh, let's see. So uh, Jack Perry uh, went to the top rope, but Guevara hit him with a drop kick, which sent him crashing outside the ring first into the timekeeper's table. Uh, Guevara grabbed the referee to distract him from MJF interfering and hitting Perry with his ring. Perry was counted out of the ring, and therefore, Sammy. By the way, this is uh, the winner of this match will face uh, Darby Allen, and the winner of that match will face a double or nothing for the world heavyweight title. So let me give you a little backstory here on this match. Before, okay, sorry about that. So before, before this match, earlier in the program, backstage, MJF had a talk on camera with Sammy Guevara telling him that he would main event double or nothing if he was willing to take a fall. He'd guarantee him to win and be in the main event against MJF if he take a fall. So that's why MJF interfered in this match, because before they left the backstage promo, MJF stuck his hand out, and Sammy Guevara said, no, friends, they don't shake hands, they hug, and they actually hug. And then after the match, MJF not only hugged Guevara, but he put him on top of his shoulder. And then they hugged each other again at the end of the show. So I don't know. I, 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 I think that Sammy Guevara is using MJF to get into the main event. I don't think he's going to lay down. I can't see him taking a dive, but I can see them because I don't feel it's Darby Allen's time yet. Screwing Darby Allen out of the out of the title picture as well. So, be interesting to see. I like the build up. I I really do. Uh, your thoughts, sir? Yeah, decent enough matchup. And obviously, they didn't want Jungle Boy to take a pinfall loss here because the uh, they're again trying to build him up as a contender as well. I'm curious to see how this is going to unfold because we all know MJF. MJF is crafty. He has some sort of a plan. And so is Sammy Guevara. There's some ulterior motive. We don't know what it is exactly. I mean, obviously Sammy Guevara wants to get that world title um, match against MJF. I still say that we're going to see a fatal four-way between these four guys. You throw Darby Allen into the mix as well. I, 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 I think that's what's definitely going to happen down the road. Yeah, I do too. I, I think it's got to happen. You can't keep calling yourself the four pillars and then not have a four-way match to see who is the top pillar of the company? Um, okay, sir. So you've got the uh, next two. 
Backstage news on Ronda Rousey's injury status. WWE had to make big changes to its original plans for Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler at WrestleMania 39. The team was slated to win the women's tag team titles at the show, but instead they worked the four-way tag match at WrestleMania, with Ronda being protected and limited in the match. On Friday, SmackDown, a celebration segment for, Sm for WWE Women's Tag Champions Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez led to Sonya Deville and Chelsea Green coming out, setting up their feud. After taking some insults, the champions attacked the challengers, leading to a brawl. While speaking to Wrestling Observer Radio, Dave Meltzer noted that Ronda Rousey is still dealing with the injury and has yet to be medically cleared. Well, you know, the deal is there. Ronda Rousey is still not cleared, so they can't do the Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler thing, which was the plan. And we called this Kentucky guy that they should have put belts on these two. But unfortunately, when you have real-life injuries, they, those do come in the way of any creative plans. I do hope that Ronda gets healthy as soon as possible so that they can put the women tag, women's tag team titles on her and Shayna Baszler. And we can finally start to build those title belts up. Because let's face it, they, ever since they were created couple of years ago, I don't think we've really had any teams that had a worthwhile run with those belts, and it's really unfortunate because they're trying to bolster the women's division, and it hasn't worked out the way they've wanted it to. Yep, I agree. I think that uh, it should be, it, it should be, uh, I don't know, man. I think Ronda Rousey should have been a, on a tag team a long time ago, and the reason why is because she had, she's lost, she's lost the fan base, not her complete fan base, but she's lost the crowd in just about every arena I see her go in. So the baby face wasn't working. The hills worked. You had Shayna Baszler to the mid and yeah, you know, I mean, I guarantee you if the injury wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't have Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez as the champion. So, uh, all right, sir, you got the next one or, and that's your last one, right? Oh no! I got one more, and this is and this is a doozy. I mean, no, this next one that you're doing. Yes, yeah, my last, the last one. one. Gotcha, gotcha. Gunther versus Brock Lesnar is being discussed for this summer, as exclusively reported by WrestlingNews.com in December. WWE had been internally planning for the match to happen at WrestleMania 39, but it was nixed. Instead, Lesnar worked a match with Omas, an idea from Vincent Kennedy McMahon while Gunther defended the Intercontinental title against Sheamus and Drew McIntyre in a triple threat match. Gunther has talked in past interviews about wanting the match, because he feels that a match with Lesnar would present the biggest possible challenge for him. He's also spoken highly of Lesnar's mind for the business. WWE teased a showdown briefly between the two in the 30-man Royal Rumble match this year. For now, Lesnar is expected to wrestle Cody Rhodes at Backlash next month in Puerto Rico, but Gunther may finally get his wish for a match with Lesnar this year. Well, it's about time, and when you talk about a possible hard-hitting match, possible match of the year contender, I mean, this, this could be it right here. Gunther with his striking ability and Lesnar with his ability to hit you with a million suplexes I mean, that's what, we, that's what we pay to see when we watch a WWE event. And I'm there for it if it does actually happen. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, wow, I didn't even know you had that headline. That's awesome. Yeah, I want to see that. Yeah, I'm, I'm there for that. 
Uh, if you guys enjoyed Sheamus versus Gunther, oh, 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 hold on to your hat. Brock Lesnar versus Gunther. Man, oh, man. And you talk about Suplex City versus uh, the uh, slap, the chest slap heard across the world. Yeah, I'm there for that. I think it'd be great. All right. So let's see. Next headline. Chris Jericho has reportedly become Tony Khan's most trusted confidant in AEW. There are others in AEW who do not want, oh, who don't want CM Punk back. Okay. On a recent PW Torch audio show, Wade Keller spoke about the CM Punk return rumors. Dave Meltzer and Andrew Zaran have reported that Punk looks to be returning on the June 11th debut episode of AEW Collision at the United Center in Chicago. That hasn't been a fit, that has not, okay, I'm glad you're saying this, that has not been officially announced by, by AEW, but all signs do point to that direction. Meltzer stated that Punk had been told not to have any contact with the Young Bucks. However, it looks like Chris Jericho and Punk have a chance at working things out, or at least getting to a point where they can work together. On his audio show, Wade Keller said that the planned Jericho Punk meeting would include FTR as a neutral party. By the way, I respect FTR. I'm glad they're the champions and everything, but they're killing, killing their reputation by defending CM Punk so much. They really are. They're, they're going on these podcasts and defending him, and it's, uh, it's getting, they're kind of ticking me off a little bit. It's getting a little old. Uh, Keller also stated that Jericho has been a close confidant of Tony Khan. Keller on the G on the punk Jericho meeting, uh, moderated by FTR. The ideal being FTR saying, you know, we're pitching the idea. Let's moderate it for our neutral party. And we can help let Jericho and punk work things out. Jericho is the closest, uh, confident of Tony Khan right now. Why does he keep saying it? of Tony Khan right now when it comes to things that include him, but go beyond him? I don't know how often. But there's times when it's like, where's Tony? Oh, he, he and Chris, he's in Chris's hotel room. Or he's off in the re his restaurant booth, in this restaurant booth, talking to Chris. Or wherever they talk. And it's not just about Chris Jericho stuff. But Jericho is a sounding board. There are people in the company who tell Tony, listen to Chris. Listen to Chris. He's been around. You can trust anybody. You cannot trust anybody 100%. But Chris isn't like some secret agent who's sabotaging AEW. Keller added that Jericho is not someone who is just there to collect a paycheck and then go back to Vince McMahon. He added, I think he's loyal to AEW. That's what people say at this point. And, I, and so I think FTR and Punk are aware of that. He continued, among the people I've talked to, there's not a high level of confidence that the meeting is going to go well, that it could make things worse. But maybe not. Maybe things will work out. But people who have been around punk know punk. Know people who have uh, known punk for a very long time are not as optimistic as FTR. Mediating the meeting between Jericho and punk is going to lead to any type of progress. He also said the gaslighting tweet from Brandon Cudler makes it sound like the Bucks side feels that punk side wants to put out that he's trying to work things out while the Bucks aren't. Some would argue that Matt and Nick shouldn't want to work things out because Punk threw the first punch. 
finally, finally, somebody reported that he threw the first punch. I thought only the Kentucky guy reported that. Finally. Haha. Anyway, sorry. That got me a little excited. I'm glad to hear somebody else finally talking about it. Uh, Keller also stated that there are people in the company who we haven't heard from that also do not want Punk back. He said, I think it's well known that he's a draw. I also think it's well known that the welcome mat will not be rolled out for him in the locker room. The passion in that locker room against Punk is in certain circles is unwavering. Punk has poured lighter fluid on that. Moxley and Brandon Cudler have been public, and there's, I think, some people would would be surprised, would surprise you in AEW, who would seem like neutral parties and all that who do not want CM Punk back, and they have reasons. They have reasons because they've seen what actually MJF, which we've already talked about this, don't want to beat a dead horse, but they've seen who threw the first punch that was just admitted by this guy, this Keller guy. Yeah, so your thoughts on that. And by the way, Mr. Keller, thank you. Thank you for uh, saying that because that puts confidence in the listeners on something I reported months ago. Well, I'll say what I've said a million times. Tony Khan's a businessman. He wants to... He wants ratings. He wants ticket sales. He wants uh, he wants to keep bringing in fans. And in his mind, the best way to do that is to bring back CM Punk. And because he because he's a draw and he's a name and this this and this and he figures well, Chris Jericho's the most rational person in the locker room. If you can't talk to Chris Jericho and work things out, you can't work it out with anyone. And that's probably true. Um, I still, I, I still say right now, and hey, I might be proven wrong, but I still say right now that bringing Punk back is a mistake. But it looks like all signs are pointing to that happen. And I'm not necessarily against the idea of AEW finally deciding, okay, we're going to split the roster up a bit because some of these guys don't get on television on a regular basis. And we ha- and if we have another show, we can actually start to utilize our talent pool a little bit. Well, that's all well and great. But if you're just doing this to a PCM punk and say like, well, look at this, we're going to have a show that revolves mostly around this one guy. Well, I'm telling you, eventually it's probably going to come back to bite you. I honestly don't know what the end result is going to be here. Um, but I'm with you, Kentucky guy. I'm glad that somebody else is reporting the facts of what happened after the all-out media scrum that Punk was indeed the instigator and the guy who not only trash-talked everyone in the locker room, but also threw the first punch. So you want this guy to come back to television and work for you again? Then be my guest, Tony Khan. But uh, other promotions would probably not touch him with a 10-foot pole. No, that's why Punk won't let him buy out his contract. He can't go nowhere. He, he can't go anywhere else. Tony Khan's owns Ring of Honor. You know Triple H won't bring him back. So, yeah, was he going to go? He's going to go to Impact? He's not going to Impact. Nobody wants him. Nobody wants him. And because he's toxic. And this, uh, you know, I, he's going to come back. They, uh, from my understanding, he's coming back. They can say allegedly and this and that. From my understanding, the push is right now, as long as they can keep him away from the elites and some other wrestlers. And if you want to do a brand split, if you really want to prove to me that you want to do a brand split and it's not to protect your little boy CM Punk, do your brand split with Rampage and add another hour to that disastrous show. You've got the brand split already. You don't need to add a Saturday show. Oh, wait. 
It's to qualify your boy. I get it. I don't think anybody's going to watch that Saturday show, to be honest with you. But we'll see. And then the last headline. Uh, oh, yeah, this is when I, oh, I've definitely got to go over this because I said it'd make you happy. Here we go. Last headline of the episode. A big match has been pitched internally for Big E's WWE in-ring return. While nothing has been said publicly about Big E returning to the ring, it looks like there are internal plans for his WWE in-ring return. Tonight, last night, on WWE Friday Night SmackDown, Xavier Woods was unable to win the Intercontinental Championship from Gunther. After the match, Woods wondered what is next for him because the uh, Intercontinental title shot is a once-in-a-career opportunity for him. According to a report from WRKD Wrestling, Woods will face off with Gunther and the rest of Imperium at some point because the plan is for the New Day to feud with them once Kobe Kingston and Big E are cleared, and Big E versus Gunther will be the centerpiece of the feud. There's no word on when either of them will pop uh, will pop up on WWE TV, but it is interesting that there are internal plans for Big E, considering that there was a fear he might never be able to return to the ring after being dropped on the back of his neck last year. So, uh, and this was the tweet from WRKD. Despite a loss to Gunther on SmackDown, one long-term backstage pitch has seen Xavier Woods and a fully healed Big E and Kofi Kingston feuding with Imperium. Once the New Day are ready for that return, the centerpiece for the feud will be Big E facing Gunther. I want to see that match. I hate it that the New Day are going to face Imperium. Uh, New Day needs to disband completely, but I do want to see Big E versus Gunther. And I know you do too. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, it'd be a good way to bring him back. And, you know, you're putting him in the ring with uh, one of your top stars right now, a guy who's been a dominant intercontinental champion, one of the best uh, in quite some time. So, uh, yeah, I think it'd be a good match. I'm, I'm there for it. I mean, yeah, the New Day versus Imperium feud just is what it is that's going to be an accompanying uh, aspect of that feud. But, yeah, give, it, give us that singles match. Um, yeah. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be good to see uh, Big E back in the ring. Yeah, I have no problem with them coming back. I, I definitely want to, I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to see Gunther beat the crap out of them, but I, I want to see that match. That's going to be a hard-hitting match. All right, sir, so that's all I have for this episode. What do you got? That's all I have, sir. I think the only uh, other thing I wanted to comment on was the Seth Rollins rumor from earlier. Um, you know, I'm... Um, Seth Rollins, I think a little over a year ago, had challenged Roman for the Universal title. I think it was at the Royal Rumble. I forget if it was in, I think it was at 2020, the 2022 Royal Rumble. And that match ended with a disqualification uh, loss for Roman Reigns because he was, he had Seth Rollins in the guillotine choke and he refused to release the hold. So if they were at some point to revisit that feud, that could be Seth Rollins' uh, in, you know, that we never settled our feud, and therefore I deserve another shot at your championship. Yeah, I mean, I'm hey, I'm, if that rumor is true, the only thing I don't like about that rumor is having to wait a whole year. That's the only thing. If that rumor is true, guess what? I am absolutely <laughs> 
positively fine with that. Seth Rollins, and I, I say just about every episode, everybody knows this by now. He's one of my favorite stars on the roster right now. And uh, yeah, it's time for him to have both or one of those belts. It's past time. So yeah, I'm here for it. All about it. By the way, chirps this week on Drew McIntyre. Nothing in the headlines about a new contract. Nothing about the old contract. Nothing. I'm starting to think he's gone bye-bye. And I'm okay with that. Any other thoughts, sir? That does it for me. I know, I know you're a big McIntyre guy, so I wanted to give you a chance. <laughs> uh, you know, Scottish Warrior will land on his feet somewhere if he doesn't re-sign with WWE. Yeah, just somewhere hopefully that I don't watch. All right, so folks, you've been listening to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. With your co-host is Donnie Cage and the Kentucky Guy. Folks, as always, thank you so much for listening. And God bless, and God bless America. Thank you all.